Hello, everyone. This is Stories from the Well, a podcast brought to you by The Well, a faith community in Tulsa that gathers every week around a shared meal to help each other find our place in God's story. We do that through food, conversation, fun, music, and of course, storytelling. Often, our story is from the life of Jesus, but sometimes it is from history or happenings in our world or from one of us. The Stories from the Well podcast highlights the experiences of people we think are doing good things and have something meaningful to say about life and faith. You can listen on a walk or in the car or with friends and family around the dinner table. And as you listen, ask yourself this question. Why does this person's story matter to me? Welcome to our table. Welcome to Stories from the Well. Hello, everyone. Uh, We are so excited today to have Kuma Roberts as our guest. We're glad that you joined us for Stories from the Well. And uh, I want to just tell you a little bit about how this came about. Uh, There's this lovely young woman named Kamari who was kind of our right-hand staffer at the YMCA where the well has met for the last year and a half. And every time I'd show up, she'd have things set up for us and like was just our troubleshooter and just made things happen. So we love Kamari and we kind of adopted her in at the well, even though she had to work while we were there. Uh, A few weeks ago, she and I were talking and she was telling me about her mom and what her mom does. And I was like, what? I want to meet your mom. And then very quickly, it turned into a wonderful um, conversation. And then Kuma came and joined us at the well Sunday night to share a little of her story. And now we want to let her recap that here in a few minutes. But then also, we're going to just have a good conversation about her life, what she's done, how that impacts um, how she lives each day and how she believes and have a little fun at at the same time. So uh, I'm Denise and Anthony's here. Great to be with you. Yes. Thank you for helping with this again. And welcome, Kuma. Yeah, thank you. I'm happy to be here. So excited to have you with us. So here's what I knew about Kuma before we chatted. What I knew and what Kamari told me is that she is serving as the president and CEO of the Tulsa uh, Black Wall Street Chamber of Commerce. Mm-hmm. And they do amazing work in terms of supporting um, entrepreneurs in the black community. And I'll let her tell a little bit more about that. But also just being a bridge to the business community in Tulsa um, overall. And so she has an incredible story. And I'm so excited for her to share it with uh, and us to be able to share it with more people. But then also to really talk about implications of her life journey um, on, on her and her family and Tulsa. So before we get started, well, first I want to say welcome, Kuma. Thank you. We're so glad you're here. Did I already say welcome? Yes, If you did. I did, see, she's so amazing, I did a double welcome. <laughs> um, so I want to read this intro uh, that uh, tells you just, it's kind of jam-packed with some great stuff, and you'll get to hear more about it. But here's what we know. Uh, Kuma Roberts is Partner Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer at Arrowhead Consulting which is a boutique project management, leadership development, and executive coaching firm in Tulsa. Uh, Kuma partners with CEOs, executives, and leadership teams to deepen their personal and professional commitments to celebrate diversity, champion equity, and cultivate inclusion. After spending nearly a decade working with chambers of commerce, business, both corporate and nonprofit, Kuma knows what truly drives conversations related to DEI. And it's not just checking the box and other performative acts of solidarity with people across difference. It's how well you connect with the full humanity of all people, which is my favorite phrase in this introduction, um, as well as being intentional about shifting policies and practices that advance diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. That's so much great stuff. So you'll hear more about it. But I'm just going to stop talking now and let Kuma just recap a little of what you shared at the Well Sunday night, but also just like it's your story. So tell us a little of your story. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thank you both uh, for having me today. Uh, I was excited to speak at the Well and had a great conversation, but I, I started it with how I start a lot of my presentations. 
I am diversity personified. Mm. Um, I say that because I'm a black woman. I say that because I'm married to a white man. My children are biracial. My father was an immigrant who came to this country from Liberia. My mother was a strong Southern Baptist woman who, you know, I say has a Bible in her back pocket at all times, and she knew how to use it if you stepped out of line with her. <laughs> um, but typically I give all those descriptions or descriptors of myself because there's so much more than connects us than just race and gender. Right. And uh, I want typically when I speak to audiences, they say, well, I'm white. That's not my experience. I haven't struggled. I can't really have a voice in DEI. I say, no, no, no. You're diversity personified. Trust me, you are diversity personified. And here's why. And so I want everyone who's listening within the sound of my voice to know that you are <laughs> diversity personified. And let's stop having excuses about why we can or can't be a part of this very important work that I do. Um, and we'll talk more about that as the conversation uh, continues. But diversity personified was a big thing and a through line in my life as I've been sort of living in the space between. I grew up uh, short-haired, just, just like I am now, um, but you know, five years old, very struggling with my blackness of being dark skin and and um, sounding the way I do speaking, they're sounding proper. Everybody was like, well, you're just an Oreo. You, you're just this, right? Yeah. And so I struggled with, you know, what does it mean to be, to be black and have short hair and, and, and in Oklahoma? And, and I haven't had any racial situation, but I really grappled with this because it felt like lighter skinned people were always more successful or if I was just different somehow. So my blackness and who I am has been a key part of me grappling with, um, with my life. But then my mom was just so particular in her religion and in her, you know, her belief of Jesus Christ was that we just shouldn't be watching certain shows on TV. And she groomed us to have a certain kind of etiquette and speak a certain kind of way because the outcomes for her children were going to be different than what we grew up with in our community out at 56th Street North and Frankfurt Avenue. Um, and so it was a hard growing up. I felt like I didn't get to have any fun because she was so strict um, and really challenging us in that way. But everything happens for a reason. And the way that she groomed us, how she grew us up, both me and my brother, has been the deciding factor in how I've lived my life. I've mm -hmm. been able to be a chameleon and live in two very different spaces. I've been able to, as a career person, be someone who um, has met people where they are, who has leveraged the relationships and my love of people to make things happen in the community. And so I'm really pleased about that. Um, so I, I got into debate in high school and become a public speaker and really loved it so much, creating an argument, crafting an argument, how to share um, communication with people. And so became a championship debater through high school and really won state and went on to nationals twice. Oh, so wow. uh, speaking has just been a huge part of my life. And I went to TU uh, to study English and musical theater. And so went through that experience, dropped out when my father passed away my mm -hmm. second year at TU. And so I didn't finish college. So I have this education piece that has always been something I felt has held me back. Um, but as I've grown and grown in my career, while it was disappointing, I think, for my mother and father that I didn't have my degree, it has not been the great um, divider for me and has not hindered my life in any great way. And so when I think about my daughter who's attending TCC now, I'm like so excited for her and I want her to get her college degree and I want her to have it. But I also know that she's going to be okay because she has all the right uh, pieces within her to do just fine with whatever she wants to do. She's going to be success no matter what. So education was the other element that I've really grappled with and have been very committed to. The last part of the story that I shared on Sunday was that I started my career at the Tulsa Regional Chamber as the program manager for education. So putting together my life, my, my feelings about being African-American, my feelings about my short hair, my lack of degree, all of these things really came to a head when I was hired to be the program manager of education at the Tulsa Regional Chamber. And essentially my whole role was to bring in the business community into the K-12 school system and really try to figure out what gaps businesses could help fill for students. Um, and what I found through that work were the needs of students were growing so quickly. It wasn't about cookies and cupcakes and pencils, but you know, it was about yeah. food and clothing and mental health and mama doesn't have a job and we don't have a car. And I started thinking, this is overwhelming. I, I don't know how to help and support. 
So I did a huge shift of our programming at the chamber to be less about how we can support kids, because there's organizations that do that. The Well does those things, mm -hmm. families and all that support really well. But it was career, job shadow, apprenticeships. How do we make sure that these young people can see and have access to all the opportunities and pathways that exist in this community. So that was one of the foundational things that I did at that job. From there, I moved into workforce development, economic development, where I got to work with employers and really hear what their needs are, what they were missing, what people aren't coming to the job with, and what elements of their culture were keeping people away and keeping people from uh, staying any length of time. So I did that for five years. And then one day I woke up, I walked into work like a normal day, and our CEO says, hey, you don't do that anymore, Kuma. You're now the head of DEI. Congratulations. And I went, I'm not your token. Don't tokenize me, man. This is a failure club. I don't want anything to do with this. And after I thought about it, I realized, oh my God, why not me? I kind of have all of the pieces here that I think will make this really work. And I have a unique perspective as someone who's lived in between. Mm -hmm. I think I can bring a lot of understanding and clarity and be a translator for both sides of these issues. And so I really got into that and spent the last few years doing that at the chamber and left to become the CEO, uh, not the CEO, but the chief diversity officer at Arrowhead Consulting. So it's owned by a dear friend of mine. We've known each other since elementary school. His name's Chris Reynolds. And he asked me to do the thing that scared me the most at the time. And leaving my job after 11 years was one of those things. Mm -hmm. And so I left and have not looked back and I've been a consultant, public speaker, traveling the nation and the country, um, Canada included, talking about DEI, talking about economic development, talking about generational wealth building, talking about humanity, bringing people together, and not dividing each other. And so um, I come to you all, and I came to the well with that story of I'm not connected to Jesus Christ in any big way, but I know there is a higher power mm -hmm. that is fueling my purpose, fueling why I'm here on this earth. And I'm tapped in and tuned into that. And I wanna encourage more people to do that because I believe that is God. And then we are operating from that space, we're doing what he would want and therefore living through him in our own lives. Preach. No. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. I, I've been holding this. <clears throat> yeah, that's good. Um, <laughs> Kuma, this you're blowing my mind. I'm loving what I'm hearing. Um, just like as you were talking, I was thinking uh, um, you grew up in feeling like you were in between, yes. in, in the space between. But it it seems like you have spent your career and your life's work so far, like in in the chamber and consulting, really trying to bridge yes. divides. Yes, you know, filling that space between mm -hmm. that that's that's between others, and so. Um, I think it really goes to show sometimes the things we feel in life that are a deficit or the things that may cause stress and anxiety can be used to um, be our greatest benefit. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit more about that? Or? No, I, I, it was just part of an epiphany that I had. And we'll, we'll definitely get into that mm -hmm. in January. But uh, this huge shift in my understanding was, you know, suffering and, and, oh, I'm alienated. Oh, I'm the black girl. I had all of these visions about who I was and what people were thinking about me. But when I released all that and just embraced my role in the in-between, it really was a game changer for me in terms of, like, just accepting who I was and what my purpose is in this life. And I know that that's my role is to bridge divides. I just know that without... Hmm. question now that is an understanding about my life and as long as I'm doing that I know I'm working in purpose so yeah I love it yeah I have a friend I knew about you long before I met you mm -hmm. I just didn't know your name <laughs> so I have a friend that works for a company in Tulsa that you did sev several like employee trainings mm -hmm. for them and she and I walk and run together and I remember and I she tried to come something she wasn't able to come but I bet she's listening now and she's <laughs> not talking about her but um she she was. She would tell me, Denise. I know you don't work for my company, but there's this speaker that's going to be speaking, and the way she talks about diversity, equity, inclusion, is so powerful, and is so good. And so um, I just, and I think, I think when you move it, kind of what Auntie said earlier, there's this quick response. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. There's this quick knee-jerk response mm -hmm. to those three words mm -hmm. these days Yes, that um, 
that is just referring to a programmatic thing mm-hmm. and is missing the very real, very human, soul-searching component of it. And I think when you talk about it being your purpose, I think that's what you bring to it. And I'm not saying others don't. Sure. I just think it's it like it just radiates from you. Thank you. And and people that we heard um, that have talked to me since Sunday night have they just like you mm-hmm. you we talk about spiritual hospitality a lot at the well. You welcomed them in mm-hmm. to your story, but mm-hmm. you also welcomed them in to thinking about this. Yeah. And I wonder like how you see. Um, and I didn't give her this question ahead of time. Her her story inspired me this morning. But how do you see the um, the connection between like a, a, a very not just a hey we're so glad you're here, but like a, a real personal hospitality towards another human being of like really loving and welcoming them and DEI. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. Um, I would say it's everything. I mean, people, and I think it was part of the struggle I was having for the past three years after my mom passed away. I really had a, and George Floyd, and it just felt like everything was falling apart as it related to Mm D&I. And I started feeling, like, robotic. Like, I'm telling people, you know, you know, cops are, in a way, it felt like cops are bad, right? In order to do D&I well, we have to be against this, you know, Mm -hmm. cops. And, oh, and white people just need to figure it out, and they just need to get their act together, and I just need to coach and train white people. I had, like, this vision of operationalizing DEI. Mm -hmm. And I think what happened, what happened was um, I said, where's the, where's the people component here? I felt robotic mm-hmm. in doing mm-hmm. DEI work. But when I connected it to my purpose of bridge building, I said, well, I have to have conversations with people I don't agree with. I have to assume that, I, I saw a TikTok, everything you're feeling in this moment is correct. That was what it said. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. You're validating. Thank you, TikTok. You validated my feelings. <laughs> and then I thought, what about my neighbor who's flying the Trump flag? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, how they're feeling in this moment is correct. How do, how do you make sense of that mm-hmm. as a Christian, as someone who like, so I had to think, oh my gosh, the full humanity of people is me being able to go into those spaces and really try to connect with the person. And whenever I do that, the results are always incredible. Mm-hmm. And I have, I have a very good relationship with that neighbor. I don't believe their political views, but they see me as a human. They reflect that to me in the conversations we have and the fact that she celebrated my husband's birthday recently, brought a balloon over. Like things that are just like human love yes. that we should do for our neighbor. It doesn't matter what her beliefs are in terms of politics. I believe in that connection. And I almost don't want small talk or don't want superficialness. I'm in a world, 2023, if I can't be deeply connected to people <laughs> and have honest, real conversations, I don't want it. That's where I'm at in the world today and in my work so I love that I love that (laughs) I I, um um Kuma I know that there are some folks that are listening right now some genuine folks who um they hear the word DEI and there's I mean you can go on TikTok Mm -hmm. or Instagram (laughs) or Facebook or all the social medias and folks who you know because we're living in this kind of kind of woke or anti-woke um you know, response and reaction. It's so, it's so polarizing. Um, there are some folks who would say, well, you know what, when it comes to like work and you, you earn your job, like the best person should be hired. Um, we should be a colorblind society. Uh, you know, like you said, we all bleed red. Why? <laughs> when it comes to DEI, why do we need it? it why, why do businesses uh, need it? Why, why, why is it important that we understand diversity, equity, and inclusion in in business and in life? Oh, my gosh. Um, I would say that, you know, there's been a continuum of this work. There's a there's a D&I continuum. It started off in compliance, and I get how D&I has gotten a bad rap because it was compliance-based, and it was about quotas. We need 12 blacks, four white, a disabled person, an Asian, right? We were all about the numbers. Mm-hmm. But then we moved into um, a values case and the values case was it's just the right thing to do well i'm a christian it's just the right thing to do and assuming that it was the right thing to do for everyone everyone believed it was the right thing to do and it's not everyone believes it's the right thing to Correct. do. so i think that was the problem there so compliance was forced uh right thing 
assumes everyone knows the right thing, and we know that's not true. And so we're moving now into this place of equity. Like, how do we fill gaps and really try to um, make sure that everybody has the access opportunity they need in order to thrive? That, to me, feels like the right approach for the work of DEI. And I think it's just part of the evolution of it is that we're finally in this place and now we can do the real work. And it's not about even saying diversity, equity, inclusion anymore. It's about climate and culture. It's uh, about emotional yeah. intelligence. It's about cultural competence. It's words that don't even, I don't even have to say those three words, mm -hmm. DEI, because I know that it's a leadership competency that every company is looking for. If you have this growth mindset, mm -hmm. these are the words I attach to DEI that make the most sense for the bottom line. So when people say, Oh, why do we need it? I say it's it's the most profitable thing to do. Mm -hmm. It's the right, profitable, and smart thing to do for your business. Because if you aren't opening up to more kinds of people, then you're going to go the way of the dinosaur and essentially go extinct. We have changing demographics all across our nation. 123% increase of our Hispanic population in Tulsa, Oklahoma alone yes. over the past three years. If you're not translating stuff into Spanish and thinking about how to engage that community, you're not going to get them to work for you. Therefore, you're going to not have much of a business because those are the people that are available to work. So that's the case I make for why it's important for business. What I've always said is I can't change hearts and minds. That's not my job. That's that's Pastor Denise's job. <laughs> that's your job, oh my youth pastor. But, but what I found is it is my job mm. that if I can't reach the heart, if you can't have a relationship with me and, and if you have a relationship with me and I don't reach your heart, then I think there's a problem with that. I think more people should be trying to reach the heart of others. That's that's what needs to happen more. So. All right, I have a follow-up question to this. Okay. So let's say, just by what you just said, or maybe Sunday night someone heard you share, but like you just reached the heart of somebody. But they're saying, unfortunately, I live in a bubble. You know, I live in a neighborhood that doesn't, have people who are different than me. I go to a job that doesn't. What do I do to like really have this cultural competency to engage communities that I don't typically spend time with? Mm -hmm. um, because I do think that the bubble, the, the insulated living mm -hmm. affects how we treat each other mm -hmm. in public policy, in how we vote, sure. in how we... Um, and how we think of somebody when we <clears throat> see them represented on the news or, um, you know, just <clears throat> in a store. Sure. So how if somebody says, I don't know where to start, mm -hmm. what, what would you tell them? <clears throat> I would tell them to, um, I think the thing, we operate in fear a lot. I operate Agreed. in fear. I can create a whole scenario <clears throat> in my head about who that person is. I'll give you the perfect example. A friend of mine at work, white woman, asked me to go to the gun range with her. And I've never been to the gun range. And my mind immediately went to all the people that go to a gun range. <laughs> and do they even want to see me? And do, are they like me? And are they crazy? And I went to all of this in my head. This is just in my head. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And I said, yes, I'll go. But in my mind, I'm like, oh, God, and oh, what if I see this? And how am I? Oh. And we go, and it was the most delightful. A Hispanic man welcomed us, showed us how to use the gun. A black couple, young, they must have been like 20, 20-something, 20 were couple shooting. A really old lady, like 80 or 90, was there with her walker, sitting on her walker, <laughs> shooting her gun or cleaning it up. <laughs> my point was is we spent a lot of time in our minds about the fear. And when I got there, I felt comfortable. I felt like these people know what the hell they're doing with a weapon. I'm excited to be here. Yep. This empowers me, and I feel like maybe every gun user isn't insane, <laughs> and they know what they're doing. And I felt That's like I'm with so people cool. that love it enough to care enough to know how to care for their gun and use it. Wow, I would not have expected that would have been my experience going to the gun range, but it was. That's not who I picture is at a gun range either. So I, that's right. amazing. That's an amazing story and like yes. experience of oh. how we painted the picture yep. before so we ever got there. The, the parking lot was going to be filled with Trump supporting <laughs> sign. The, 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 the Confederate flag would be flying <laughs> high. People would be screaming at me on the way in. What are you doing here? I, I was sure that this mm -hmm. is my experience I was going to have. And it was like nothing like that at all. And so I just think what I would advise people to do is do the thing that scares them the most. We operate in our minds a lot. But if you in practice, my husband would say, 
oh, what are black men going to say about me being with you? And then I take him to black church, and they'd all be like, oh, man, how are you doing? Mm. He, 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 in his mind, thought there would be some issue, but there was no issue. Mm-hmm. So we need to get out of our head, release fear. That's a big thing that I'm trying to do and practice every day. And so that's what I would tell people is to release the fear. But also, get out of your bubble. If you just do the same thing each and every day, then you have a very small universe. But if you, like... Go to a different dry cleaner. Mm-hmm. Try Wanda J's for some soul food. Try Mi Tierra. That's a new Mexican restaurant out. Like, just try something different. You will be inspired, and you'll want to do more. I think more people just need to get out of their heads. I love, I, I no, love that. I love it because, well, two things. I love it because you talk about fear. Not only, um, you know, going to that gun range, maybe being fearful of, like, what, what is actually happening at that gun range or who's at the gun range. But also there could be a fear of what are they going to think about me? All of it. How yeah. am I going to be, you know, uh, perceived. perceived? So letting go of that fear, um, super powerful, but also um, maybe just going to Wanda J's or just like you don't have to upend your entire life. No. Take one small step one. toward uh, doing something different out of that routine and it will, you know. Multiply. Mm-hmm. I would add from a white person's experience. Mm-hmm. That a really important step for me. So I'm, I'm really saying this to folks who have a similar background to me. For me, another step of releasing fear was experiencing what it's like to be the only white person in the room. Mm-hmm. Just go someplace where I experience what someone from the black community experiences daily at work or someplace else that they might go that you know isn't in their yeah. you know isn't in maybe a more majority community that they live in. Um, I said that's that a more. good that's a good practice because there's empathy of like what of the fear that you feel the anxiety but then also the welcome the mm-hmm. and the, um, release, the release the release of like relief, oh my yeah. god what was all that about so, right I think that there are I think there are communities that that's just a reality it that is. that you know you have to you've had to do your whole life had to my whole when, life and and I say this word um, I say this word with all the heart behind it. We, you know, the, in when we talk about woke community, we um, sometimes we re- reject this word too. But that is my privilege mm-hmm. that I can remain insulated if mm-hmm. I want to. Yeah. And so when you say get out of your bubble, I think that's super important. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you all say woke community, and I, I get it. It's a word, and we all understand it. I say beloved community. Right. <laughs> There you go. Beloved right. community. Let's replace it. Yeah, let's replace it. Because woke has been hijacked. Oh, the yeah. meaning doesn't oh. even mean it anymore. Diversity doesn't mean anything anymore. Inclusion doesn't mean anything. So I'm like, it's beloved community where there's love, <laughs> where there's yeah. right compassion, empathy, sympathy, um, support, collaboration. Like, I'm all about that. And, and I haven't said anything about a religion. I haven't told it, right? Everyone right. should feel a part of beloved community. I love um, If you can't feel a part of a woke community. Well, I think that's where we're trying to, like, we, I feel that way about the word evangelical. Yeah. That it's been hijacked. Oh, that, yeah. That, that it means euangelion. Am I pronouncing that right? I'm sorry. Yeah, euangelion. Euangelion. Uh-huh. In Greek, means good news. <laughs> it's like... Uh, we gotta we gotta have some good news here so um i think that when we when we when words i think it's wonderful to say that word can't be effective anymore and i think we talk about it in response to because people use it and they weaponize it and we're like okay so if you use that word as a critique let's back it up here and understand that um that there are people and lives and complexity and experiences that you actually might resonate with. I think that's one of my favorite things you talk about is all these layers. Mm-hmm. And one of the most important things that we do at The Well, and I know we mm-hmm. do through the One America Movement work that we do also, is um, like remembering that the person in front of us is not this, um, is not this, um, uh, what's the one, uh, <coughs> one-dimensional mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. There's layers, mm-hmm. there's complexity, um, and, and if you just sit down and talk to somebody long enough, you're going to find something you have something. in common. Yeah. Every time. One of the exercises at one of my first events for the One America Movement, which we'll tell you guys at the end if you don't know what that is, sure. how you can get involved in that. But um, 
was we just went out of the room and said something we do every day. Mm-hmm. I brush my teeth. I get out of bed. But then the second time around the circle, you, something that's a little bit more meaningful to you. you know? mm-hmm. and so I'm like, I sing a song every day. I'm a musician, so I sing every day. And But you hear somebody say something they do every day, and you realize we all have things that we share in our humanity that we do every day. Oh, that's so, such a good one. Yeah. I'm going to borrow that. You can do. You okay. can take that. I, I don't get to take credit for it. I just got to be a part of it, too. So. So what are, what are you hoping for? What are you looking forward to and hoping for in your work and in Tulsa sure. um, in the next five years, let's say? Yeah, my, my whole goal has always been to be a transformative leader. Uh, and I, I wrote that down on a, on a notepad for some women's conference I went to, and it was mailed back to me six months later. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm still on track. I'm going to be a transformative leader. So that's one big thing that's really big to me. I want to make a difference. I want to be a legacy builder. Um, so, and not, not a Kuma legacy, but a legacy for blackness in Tulsa, mm-hmm. for the Greenwood legacy, although I'm not a descendant, I feel really drawn to that spirit that existed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe we're not far from being able to recreate that, uh, a, a bit of a black Wall Street way of life in North Tulsa again. And so I don't, I'm not hinged on it being one block that's that, you know, it doesn't have to be one block. It could be anywhere. A way we can of make, life. I love it yeah, it's, 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 it's It can be anything. Greenwood Global. And so my work at Black Wall Street is to rebuild that legacy and to be a part of rebuilding that legacy. We have a very small team, but a passionate team, and we have so much support. People are creating Black Wall Streets all around the nation right now. Uh, Fayetteville, um, different cities. An NBA player was just quoted in the paper saying, I'm building Black Wall Street with the money I'm getting you know, in my town, in North Dakota or wherever mm-hmm. he was from. My point is that we are the originals. And I want to be every bit a part of creating the legacy to bring that legacy, you know, that original legacy back. Um, so that's a lot of my work. Generational wealth building is huge. I want to see us own land. I want to see us develop land. I want to see all of us thriving. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen our Native and Indigenous brothers and sisters do so well, so many resources. And we know that as an African-American community, we just don't have the same resources. So I'm looking for people to come alongside us and, and support us recognizing that we haven't had the same advantages. And I think we're there, and the community and the nation are aware and are lined up to help. I'm just ready to start capturing those dollars and that momentum. So that's a lot of the work I'm doing. Okay, yeah. No, I, I, I love it. And um, I do think <coughs> that the spirit of Greenwood is um, it's infectious. Mm-hmm. I was born and raised in Chicago mm-hmm. and did not... Um, Story. I did not know the story of of, uh, of Greenwood, of Black Wall Street, of uh, the Tulsa Race Massacre and, and the rebuilding, um, and then the urbanization that happened afterwards until I um, began teaching in Tulsa Public Schools, wow. and which, I mean, I was like 30 years old, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I think that I think that we're hungry for that. I think mm-hmm. that, um, and one of the things that, uh, you know, after George Floyd was murdered and, and in 2020, um, I participated in in many of the peaceful uh, expressions of protest, um, but I was heartened to see, I, I was encouraged to see um, so many of our white brothers and sisters, indigenous folks. Yes. It was a it was a multiracial uh, movement toward toward recognizing that um, uh, um, the lives of black people matter, mm-hmm. and we and uh, until we can. Uh, assure that those marginalized voices, you know, are 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 remembered. Their stories are told, and they are honored. Uh, then, then all lives can can really be valued. And so, um, I appreciate that work, and I love it. And even though I'm I'm not a descendant of the Tulsa race uh, of, of of Black Wall Street, you know, I, I feel personally connected sure. as well. And and am hoping that my own legacy will lend itself toward being an example to to others. others. So I'm looking, uh, so 244 uh, cuts across Greenwood, and um, they're thinking about tearing it down and, like, reconnecting Greenwood, which might be cool. That, that idea was mine. That was your idea? Really? At the chamber. I, oh, you I, folks, you heard it here. I, <laughs> talk about it. So in 1921... The Chamber of Commerce existed. The Tulsa Regional Chamber of Commerce existed. Different name, Tulsa Metro Chamber. Um, When I was working there, my first experience was reading our minutes from July uh, 31st, 1921. Oh, my gosh. And the chairman 
of the chamber is talking about ascend well, the the day after talking about how they're going to rebuild how this was a tragedy for Tulsa um, and then they set up a committee that was going to investigate reparations way back 100 years really? ago really and um, nothing ever happened but you go on to read the minutes and all of this is public knowledge so I'm not disclosing anything uh, they were talking about starting to create Union Railroad, the, the railroad station that's right, that was, didn't exist then, but within days of the race massacre, they're discussing in chamber minutes how to capitalize and build a railroad through Greenwood. So that began to tell me that this was a, not a spontaneous event that occurred, it was a very planned event. Mm. And um, have since done some history, talked with a lot of historians and descendants, and learned about this very targeted um, attack on Greenwood. So when I read that, I said, we have to do something. And the chamber should apologize. And my boss at the time was like, oh, we don't want to get in that can of worms. That could be really, you know, inside a lot of anger and a lot of fear. And I said, we have to do it because we have to set the vision for what it looks like to move forward. So he did it. We apologized. We had a beautiful press conference. And in that press conference, I said, we need to remove the physical divide and the actual divide that the symbolic divide and the actual divide that is keeping our city separate. We have two Tulsas that exist, mm -hmm. very much like Martin Luther King's two Americas. Mm -hmm. um, and so we said that we would begin the conversation to take down the highway. Mm -hmm. That point, we were in discussion with the Oklahoma Department of Transportation and the IDL. Uh, they said they would only consider it if there were safety concerns. And they had done a feasibility study, and that was the most dangerous exit, the Greenwood exit as part of that. So wow. they were moving it to the next step and then I left the chamber. So I'm not completely sure where that landed now in terms of that work to take down the highway. That's a really tough exit if you're coming off. It that's that's crazy true. Crazy true. Because it is the you hard, have to cross a, the yes, entire highway to get to that to exit. To get to that exit. They know it. They had already had years of studies about it and they said Okay, it's not because you said we need to take down the highway. <laughs> it's not because Kuma said it, but because we know that it is a dangerous exit point, we are willing to relook at how to redefine it, and we'll do. We will pay for a feasibility study in order to understand what we need to do to make this a more safer section. That was like enough. I pieced out. I don't know where it is now, but I hope it's continuing. It's yeah. just we it's just knew been it was going to be recently, hasn't it? I yeah, just heard it with in the, last um, week. With it's the... going to be fifteen years. I mean, yeah. it's going to be a long term thing yeah. to try to do it. But we did visit several communities. The chamber paid for us and took community leaders to different communities that had done that work. Uh, urban removal right. had divided lots of communities across the nation. There were a lot of federal dollars around Obama's time to help communities remove that or reimagine what those highways look like. And so Tulsa was definitely at the forefront of those conversations, and I got to be a part of bringing mm -hmm. those to Tulsa. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. That's powerful. Uh, that's powerful history. Yeah, it was, it was a big deal. I'll have to share the article with you. Oh, for Thank sure. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> for sure. Um, I have one more question. Sure. Like based on all of this conversation, and, I, and Anthony may have another one too. Um, I, you know, I ask you what you would say to um, what you would say to a person who's in their bubble, um, who doesn't have these experiences, like how they start. But also, um, you know, from the work that we do at the well, trying to like, you know, we say we are a church at an intersection of economics, ethnicity, and experience. We are, we are really trying to be in neighborhoods that are intersections, but we also, like, in our lives, mm -hmm. want to have, be, you know, people that live at an intersection. Um, I feel like um, one of the things we could that's really important in terms of this cultural competency. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to give a specific situation, but I've just seen multiple situations in the last few years where our public and our elected leaders, I don't feel like they've actually had a conversation with the group that their decision impacts. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder, do you, do you have thoughts about that or what you, um, you know, how how we encourage public leaders to actually engage with the audience that they've already made a decision about or they've made a decision about their lives um, before they, <laughs> you know, how do we help cultural, how do we, how do we help our public leaders have that cultural competency also? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one and one that I really found that the conversation around 
first of all, distinguishing the difference between equality and equity is huge mm -hmm. for our, our leaders. Mm -hmm. um, I think everyone thinks uh, in equality terms so that they've heard from one person and everyone else must feel the same way. So they hear from mm -hmm. a small, loud group of individuals mm -hmm. and they just assume everyone else feels the same way. But we know that's not true. But when you are applying the equity lens, you're asking yourself, it's, it's three questions I'm always asking myself, who's missing from this conversation? Yes. Who, who should be here that isn't? Mm -hmm. um, the other one is, what are the impacts of the decision I'm making? Like, who's going to be displaced? Who, who might is going to be harmed? Like, what, what are we doing? And so if we just slow any process down and, and create our own three-question equity lens tool, mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be those questions, but it could be your three questions that keep you accountable to why you're doing this, to your purpose, to your mission, to your vision. That's the angle I suggest people go in order before they start creating policy. Nothing with us, without us, you right. know, without us kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. We have to apply the equity lens and make decisions first that empower all people to be a part of it. And that's how we can avoid making mistakes and where we get in trouble and get called out on social media <laughs> um, because we've had more people a part of the process. So I, ho I hope that answers the question yeah, a little bit more does. for you. You got another question? Yeah, uh, so it's a little bit of a fun question. Speaking of highways, <laughs> uh, think about a billboard on a highway, um, and if you could write a message on a billboard uh, that people could drive by and see here in Tulsa or anywhere around the world, what would it say? That's such a good question. So I, my motto, my husband and I's motto has always been choose happiness. And... Um, we just made a decision that no matter what was going on around us or all of the opposition to our very interracial and, and generational marriage age gap, that we were always going to choose happiness. So if I could do a billboard, I would say that um, it would say happiness is a choice. That would what I would put there. And I say it to my son, you don't have to be sad. You can choose to do something different. And I think we all are just conditioned as humans to go to fear, to go, it's easier for us to go to all the things that we should be running away from. Mm -hmm. um, and so the more I lean into doing things that make me a little more uncomfortable, all the things that don't take me to fearful place, leaning in, that's where the joy is. That's where the joy is. So I would say happiness is a choice. Happiness is a choice. Oh, you I can choose that. to today to yeah. be happy. Um, you know, what we do at The Well is uh, we, we really are trying to help people have space to be where they are mm -hmm. in their own faith. And, um, you know, you've re referenced it today, and we talked a little bit about it Sunday night, but I, I know you've been on a journey of, like, here's here are some things I've had to let go of. I've had to really examine let go of. Um, I'm curious, in all of your journey um, and where you find yourself today, what have you, what have you found that you deeply hold on to? Hmm. Positively? Yeah, so I think, I think there are... I mean, I've been on a journey of being like, okay, I got to peel back some stuff here that, you know, I've always thought, I always, I always um, mm -hmm. was told this is what's true or right. And mm -hmm. I'm like peeling things going, I'm not sure that's necessarily always right. the case or that that's needed yeah. in order for me to, you know, in my faith, follow after God um, and, and to live out, you know, and, you know, as I would say, like follow in the way of Jesus. Mm -hmm. But there are definitely things I've held on to that I'm like, but that. I will hold on to that. And so I'm curious, like, what are those, what are those things you're like, but I'll hold on to that. I've mm -hmm. had to leave some of these things behind, but I will hold on to this. Cause I, I, I wonder if it speaks to like the depth of what really resonates for all of us. So that's why I would love for you to share that. If you, mm -hmm. you and, and hold on, cause I, I want to, I'm going to give you space to think okay. about it. <laughs> He's talk. But then also, um, cause that question is actually very powerful. Cause I'm going through a sort of a, you know, deconstruction phase, and it's like, um, well, um, you know, if my if I if my faith is not in the preacher because the preacher is doing X, Y, and Z, or if my faith is not in, you know, I mean, just it's kind of testing, you know, just kind of what 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 is anchoring my soul. I would think, like right now, what really hits me is, you know, that song, um, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, uh -huh. Promise yeah. Keeper. I um I struggle with it. <laughs> I want I want to sing because of the, like the the rephrase is that is who you are that is who you 
I want to scream, that is who we are. Yes. That is who we are. I'm tired of churches singing about how great God is. Thank you. If we're not going to, like, we should be the people who are the answers to the prayer. We should be the, the like, we, people's lot. and this is what anchors me, we need people's lives to be materially better. Mm-hmm. And we need to be those who help people's lives to be materially better. Mm-hmm. Meaning, if someone does not have health care, our influence in their life needs to be, or if someone doesn't have access to affordable child care, if you're gay, if you're straight, it, it doesn't matter what your um, immutable characteristics are. You should have affordable housing. You should have access to clean and safe drinking water. And if what whatever religion or ideology you're pushing, if it doesn't lead to those things, I don't want anything to do with it. Right. I think what we fail to do and what your comment says is, is we have been taught, what I have been taught is that there is him up there who is supposed to be here helping us. And we appeal and we pray and we beg and we ask and we suffer as we do all of that. And I grappled with it too. Like, oh my God, we've still got homeless people and hungry people. But until I decided that God was in me. I am a literal God walking around and acting in my daily life the best I can to be the best human I can be. That to me has been the game changer in my work. And the more I do that, I'm not suffering through life. I'm living a life I don't want to escape. I was living a life I wanted to escape very much three years ago. I felt robotic. I felt like hopeless. I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't connect to Jesus or any kind of higher power. But the more I admit that he is in me and I am him or I am she or thee or whatever it is, I'm not suffering anymore. I can't wait to get out of bed. I'm excited. But we've forgotten who we are, Anthony. And um, until we remember that, we're going to suffer a great deal and humanity's going to have a lot of needs. But um, that's what gives me hope. That's what I hold on to, is that God is in me and in every single person I meet, whether I believe them, agree with them, like the way they look, like the way they smell, whatever it is, God is in every single one of us and we've just forgotten who we are. So my whole role is to help people remember and I will always, um, I'll always hold on to that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I'm blubbering <laughs> through that. I don't know. If you may need to edit all I don't know. No, I, edit, I don't that. know. That's amazing. Was uh, I don't know. I was crying, guys. That's, that's why I was uh, <laughs> sounding like nonsense there. But no, it's true. <laughs> it can be overwhelming. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> First of all, thank you, Anthony, for just like you know, sometimes um, just saying the reality for us inside, especially when we're seen as leaders and people who, like, can we say that? <laughs> you know, I think that that, thanks for being, like, honest and courageous to say, this is this is what it comes down to for me. Um, when you both were talking, I kept thinking of this, the idea of, you know, the word we learn Maybe people talk about it in church too, but in seminary, you know, the imago Dei, the image of God, like mm. image bearers of God, the image of the creator God. And I think we've done a really good job um, in the world of like separating, kind of like you said, God's there and I'm here. Mm-hmm. When really, if we are made in the image of God, if, if, if you have a belief that, and, and again, someone may believe differently, but I'm just coming from my mm-hmm. paradigm. If I have a belief that literally the breath of God has been breathed into my existence. Like there's a spirit inside me that is reflecting the very character and nature and goodness of God and has the ability to be at work in the world. Why am I not at work in the world? (laughs) So, um, so, you know, for me, that's regardless of where you are on, on a faith journey or what you believe, like, understanding that connection to what you can't see mm-hmm. um, and realizing that, you know, I just read the book 4,000 Weeks. We literally have an average of living 4,000 weeks on the planet. What am I going to do with those 4,000 weeks? That's crazy to put a number on mm-hmm. it. Oh, I know. Wow. So it's a great book. I thought uh, 
little sidebar. Our family has a little family book club, and our daughter chose this one. And she's like, we're talking about this book on vacation this year. And so we all read it. Um, and I'm like, I am not reading a time management book because there's people in my house who will go on name to love time management books. Is it Gary? Like, you know, no, shh. And so, and so I'm like, I am not reading a time management book. And Lainey's like, Mom, just, just read it. And then I opened it, and I was like, Oh, it's really asking the question, I what are you going to do with 4,000 weeks, right? So, um, man, uh, I want to, I kind of, I had like some fun, like, what are your favorites questions? <laughs> but I want us to end there. I want us to stop. And I want to end by saying, I feel like um, Kuma has really opened some great topics that you can talk about with your friends and family. Um but I think she said two things that we should carry with us. She said, release your fears. Mm-hmm. Like, do, like, let go of the fear that's keeping you from interacting with somebody with a different life experience, a different color of skin, a different ethnicity, a different belief system. Yeah. Release that fear and see what happens and see how you're surprised. Yes. And then the second thing is get out of your bubble. So, friends, I just challenge you in the next month, like, if you, if you haven't had the opportunity, like, figure out a way to get out of your bubble and, and, and see if by releasing some of the fear you have about the other person or the other group, if you discover something sacred and beautiful. So, that's my parting shot. Um, Kuma, thank you so thank much you. for being here. Anthony, thank you for always hey. enriching this and <laughs> making this so such much. a great conversation. <laughs> um, friends, we are um, we meet on Sundays from five to six thirty. The well, the welltulsa.org, um, and you can check out the welltulsa.org to find out where we're meeting because we're in the process of moving. But we would love to have you with us at our community dinners where we have good conversation, great music, and a story that refreshes our faith. And so um, it's just great, open, safe space uh, for wherever you are on the faith journey. We would love it if you join us. Please share this podcast. Tell other people about Kuma and this conversation. And have a great Labor Day weekend. Yep. Thank you. Go to a a cookout (laughs) this weekend (laughs) if you can. Okay. See ya. Bye. Bye-bye. Get invited to a cookout. Yeah. <laughs> On behalf of The Well, we are so glad that you stopped by for this episode. We would love to connect with you. We are at The Well Tulsa Dinner on Facebook. We are at The Well Tulsa on Instagram. And our website is thewelltulsa.org. Please visit fill out our contact form, come and join us at a community dinner sometime. We would love to have you as our guest. And if there's any way that we can encourage your life and faith, we would also love to know that. So we're saving a place at the table for you. Let us know you're coming and we will see you at the well.